This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, April 26, 2023 edition. And if you look back at how the stock market has behaved as of late over the past year or so, it should be obvious that investors, to that, to investors, that you need to adjust to the new market dynamics. Uh, this is a choppy market. You're getting rallies. You're getting sell-offs. You're getting some months where um, energy leads, the next month tech leads. And it's an environment that is definitely less trending. We're so used to a trending market. I think uh, I saw this stat. Seven out of the last 10 years, the stock market was up double digits in seven of those 10 years. And one of those years, it was down more than double digits. That means only two out of those 10 years was it up or down just single digits. And that typically means a trending market. And now we're in a market right now, you know, we're mid single digits on the year for the broad indices. And we've had a lot of chop. And for some people, it's been fun, others not so much. And it's for, for the market and for investors, it's a bit of a confusing time. A lot of people are scarred from last year, don't know what to expect. They're apprehensive due to those scars that are, that are very fresh. You can easily see the economy slowing and there's a lot of PTSD from 08. And a fear that, oh, that's going to happen again. But for most, you know, they don't have the perspective. That's the perspective. It's the last 15 years. And that's human nature. It's human nature to look at uh, the last short period of time. And yes, 15 years in the span of market history is a short period of time. And it's easy to, or it's natural to take that short amount of time and extrapolate it forward. People do this all the time with a 401k, right? You, you enroll in your 401k, you get some sort of list of funds that you can invest in. And this fund says it did this much over a three-year period and a five-year period and a 10-year period. And most people pick the one that did well over the last three to five years and go with that one. When in reality, it's probably not going to be the best one going forward. So it is difficult for most people to ignore human nature. Human nature is emotional. Human nature has biases. And it's your job to first off, recognize it, right? Just, just like an addict, right? The first 
sign of an addict getting better is recognizing that they have a problem. And I think for investors, the first sign of a good investor is recognizing your humanity. Recognizing that, yeah, emotions get the best of me sometimes. Yeah, I have biases that sway my decision-making process, especially in today's hyper-politicized world. Politics often comes into that. And once you realize that, then you can start to focus on what are the facts of the economy, of a sector, of a company, of an asset class, and weigh the pros and cons, weigh the upside and the downside. And that's what we try to do here, is try to distill the facts as we see them. So I'm Justin Klein, and I am here today to answer your finance and investment questions on today's radio show and podcast, and do that in a way that not just answers the question, but hopefully gives broader context so that you can apply it in your own way. Right? Not just, I'm trying not to just answer the question for that one person, but answer the question for all of you. So you can take a little tidbit from it, learn something, and apply it. So you become a better investor. So I'm ready for your calls on our anytime listener line. It's 888 chart That's the number, as always, to get through and ask your question on today's show. If you're listening live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, or if you're listening after hours, no big deal. You can call the same number and leave your message, and we'll answer it on a future show. So I have a lot of material to cover on today's podcast, one is in regards to big tech earnings. We're in the midst of earnings season, and we're going to unpack what we've seen so far and what we're what it's looking like going forward. Also, the office market. The office market is struggling. Commercial real estate hasn't experienced this type of decline in recent memory. You have to really go back to the 60s and 70s for this to have some sort of analog. So we're going to look at that story. Also, supply chains. How have companies or how are companies shifting their supply chains in the midst of a, a world that is reorienting, reorienting itself? And these companies are not going back to the way business was done before. So we're going to look at what trends we're seeing there. And then lastly, the Fed looks to be closing a loophole that masked a lot of losses on the on SVB, Silicon Valley Bank's balance sheet. So we're going to look at what they are looking to change. Okay. So that's what's on my mind. Ultimately, this is about you. And that's why we're going to get to your voice bank questions. One is on WTI, a W&T offshore, and then trend following, as well as an iTunes review question as well. So of all this planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and of course, your live calls, most importantly, at 888 chart Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a decidedly down day, and it was really driven by, I think, a, a couple of things. You had some economic news that was uh, uh, fairly weak when it comes to the durable goods orders. Uh, and then you had the House 
passing a bill, the Republicans passed a debt ceiling bill with steep spending cuts. And if you know anything about how GDP is calculated, you'll know that spending from government is a big part of that calculation. And so if there is potential for more spending or spending cuts down the pike, the pike, the pipe, then there, there could be worse economic outcomes going forward. So that's what you're seeing uh, there. There's some rumors about in China about some uh, COVID uh, spreading again and having that being an issue. So I think that's uh, a little bit overhanging uh, things worldwide. But ultimately, you've got a, you got a modest pullback on the back, uh, <clears throat> I think, most of all, on the uh, First Republic earnings that came out yesterday, and that was negative. Stock fell dramatically again for the second day in a row, and a little bit of a redux of this banking crisis that we experienced just a handful of weeks ago. All right, that was uh, that was the market for today, and uh, we had Meta's earnings after the bell, and we're going to get to that story. But we're going to a quick break. Remember to call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank, or if you're listening live, you can call right now at eight 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 ninety nine chart. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast. How do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. Here. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, I was wondering if you could talk about the stock for Murphy USA. The ticker is MUSA. They own a chain of gas station and convenience stores, and they have great free cash flow. The stock prices come down because earnings seem to be declining this year, but the economy picks up again. And they're buying back shares at a pretty ferocious rate. So I was wondering if you could give me your opinion. Thank you very much. All right. This is Murphy USA. And it is a mid-cap, about $6 billion market cap. And it's an American retailer of gasoline products and convenience store merchandise merchandise operating here in the United States. 100% of the company uh, are company-operated stores, 90% company-owned. And most of them are adjacent to Walmart stores. And it's a very solid business, okay? And it has natural foot traffic because of that, the Walmart. And if you look at its valuation, enterprise value EBITDA right now is about six and a half. Now, historically, it only trades around seven and a half. 
So it is a bit cheaper than that longer term average. So I like that. It's return on equity right now is 89%. Now it's probably over earning. Longer term average is 44%, but that's still very, very good. So uh, I, I like that. You said they're buying back shares. Let me take a look at that. Yep, they continue to buy back shares. If you go back to 2014, uh, or 2013, a decade ago, they had 46 million shares outstanding. Now they, have, now they only have 21.7 million. So I like that, that they are uh, continuing to buy back shares. Not a whole lot of debt on its balance sheet, about 1.7 billion in net debt on a $6 billion market cap. That's perfectly fine. It's uh, times interest earned is about 12 times. So uh, making plenty of money, uh, to cover that 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 uh, interest payment, free cash flow is about six hundred eighty nine million, and right near an all time high. So I do think it's over earning a little bit. So there's probably going to be some reversion to the mean here, but I like this overall. And this is one of those names. Its dividend yield is 05 percent, point five, and that doesn't sound very exciting, but. It's not about the dividend. It's about the business. The business is sound. The business is successful. The business is consistent. And I like that. Now, if you look at the chart in the near term, it is, let me pull this up here. There we go. It's a bit overbought short term, but a pullback into the 260 level, I think it'd be a buy. So I'm going to give Murphy USA a thumbs up. Thanks for the call. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Gene Coos III says, please take a look at ticker EU, Encore Energy. This was an OTC stock that recently went public on the NYSE. I've held the stock for about three years. I still believe they have great assets and several in the pipeline. I know I'm early to the nuclear play, but I'd like your thoughts on this company. And this is a very small company, $215 million market cap, and they have no revenue. What are they doing? They are engaged in recovering. Uh, they're, they're, they have a development project, basically, how I sum it up, here in the United States for uranium. And that's why they have no revenue. They're spending all their money on the development of this, this mine, this uranium mine. And this is not the way I chose choose to play uranium. I want a company that is has proven reserves, has proven assets that they can that they're selling into the market right now. I don't want a company that's just raising capital consistently because you just you're guessing on when they're actually going to hit pay dirt and start to pull uranium out of the ground and selling that in the spot market. So analysts don't have it earning positive earnings anytime soon. And that's why I would stay away from it. So I would move on, I would sell it. And maybe it hits one day, but why don't you sell it and go buy a company that's actually producing today. All right. Thanks for the call. Now we're moving into a break. I'm ready to take your questions on InvestTalk at 888-99-CHART. Remember, you can post your questions anytime with an iTunes review. Day is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. 
call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Now my focus point looks in the story behind this headline, why big tech earnings matter. And put simply, big tech earnings matter because they are such a large percentage of the indices. And you have earnings from Alphabet and Microsoft yesterday, and both of them were pretty solid. Uh, At least uh, the market reaction to them was pretty solid. You had Alphabet uh, about flat, actually, on the day. I know it was up earlier. Microsoft, what did that do? Uh, That was up about 20 bucks, uh, 6 or 7%. You had Meta After Hours that had a pretty good reaction so far. We'll see how it closes tomorrow. Then Amazon uh, on, uh, I believe that's at the end of the day, tomorrow. And this is is important because not only are they heavily weighted indexes, but they've rallied pretty nicely so far this year for the most part. And if they report disappointing earnings, then... And, and give, you know, warrant of some sort of headwinds that could give a reason for investors to sell stocks even more. Now, so far this week, we've had a mixed week overall. Um, but what's most important about the earnings season that we're in right now is not just about the first quarter. Remember, the market usually looks forward. They care very little about what had happened over the past three months or six months, and what's going to happen over the next three to six months, especially in a time where the economy is slowing and how much is that feeding into company earnings? Then on top of that, you have new emerging themes that are going to be paid attention to. One is obviously AI. Meta Alpha and Microsoft all expressed their intent to strengthen their presence in the AI space, along with Amazon, IBM, Baidu, Tencent, etc. So that's something they're, they're going to pay attention to. What is their plan going forward? How much are they investing in the space? And then cost-cutting measures. There's been a lot of layoffs over the past year in the tech space. And how much does that hit the company's bottom line? Initially, it usually doesn't very much because of severance. But you're starting to see a lot of those tech workers' severances run out. And ultimately, that's cost savings to the companies. And Wall Street is starting to favor companies that are returning cash to shareholders, buying back stock, paying down debt, especially in a time with higher interest rates. Now, pivoting to other sectors, you have home builders. They actually did pretty well. Even though you had new home starts data, pretty weak, new home sales data uh, for March, also fairly weak. But you had a company like DR Horton climbed 8.5% last week because of positive earnings. And so across the board, that lifted the sector. And so it just goes to show you that it's not just about the economic headlines, but how does that feed into earnings overall? Sometimes other market dynamics will play into profits and margins. Maybe let, there may be less new homes being sold, but not dramatically less. And margins are increasing because they're finding ways to incentivize people to 
sign up and get a 5% mortgage as opposed to buy an existing home and go out there and get your own mortgage at 65 or 7%. So this is a new kind of world that we're operating in. And uh, this is not 08. This is very different. It's very different dynamics. Now, tomorrow you have first quarter GDP coming out. You have jobless claims, mortgage rates, and pending home sales. You have earnings from Amazon, MasterCard, T-Mobile, Dr. Pepper, as well as Capital One. So especially Capital One, that's going to see you know how, how strong is the consumer? Are, they, are delinquencies rising dramatically? Amazon, same thing. Was the shift in their demand for their prime products? And then MasterCard, that's going to, you're going to see volume of transactions. Then Friday, you have personal spending, personal income, PCE price index. So that's going to be important uh, when it comes to the inflation picture. Chicago PMI and the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. So a lot of economic data over the next couple of days. And then you have ExxonMobil, Chevron, Colgate, Palmolive, and New York Community Bank Corp all reporting earnings the morning of Friday. So that will, that will be important for the energy sector and the consumer staple sector as well. So uh, it be very interesting to see how earnings come along and what that guidance will be for the rest of the quarter. All right. Now, on the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline, how to make the decision whether to rent or buy. In the current real estate environment, a typical renter pays about 40% less per month than a first-time home buyer. In the top 10 metro regions that favored renting, monthly starter home ownership costs were on average $1,920 higher than rents. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You're building your financial future, but you must have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. So don't forget to call Invest Talk 888 99 Chart. 
Hey guys, this is Marco again from Switzerland and I would like to know your opinion on WTI and specifically on if this is a good time to get in. Currently trading at under five bucks, somewhere around 480. The stock has been going up and down and now it has some resistance pressure technically and pays no dividends that I know and uh, with the price of oil potentially going higher in the future. I would like to know what is your take on this stock, WTI. Thank you, guys. All right, this is W&T Offshore, and they are engaged in the exploration and production of oil and natural gas, primarily in the Gulf of Mexico. So think of the BP oil spill. Not that they were part of that, but they operate in the same area. And offshore drilling is expensive. And as you know, it, it's dangerous. So it's, it's, that's why it's expensive. So in order to do it right and do it safely, you have to take a lot of precautions, and that pushes up the cost. Not uh, in addition to being, you know, thousands of feet below the earth or the the water surface. So that's why their profits tend to ebb and flow dramatically with oil prices. When oil prices are doing well, they do well. So there's a lot of what we call operating leverage. There's a lot of costs to keep these rigs going. They don't typically shut them down because it's very expensive to shut them down and to bring them back up and, and pump again. And so they tend to just pump and pump and pump at a pretty high operating cost. And that's why last year they made $1.96, but this year they're only supposed to make $0.81 cents a share and $0.30 cents a share next year. So if you look based on last year's earnings, it looks cheap. It's only trading at $4.19, so it's a two multiple. That's super cheap, right? However, going forward, that's a much higher multiple, right? If you're making $0.30, cents, uh, it's, a, it's a low teens multiple at four and change. So that's the issue. And then they have some debt on their balance sheet. So that's, I'm not a fan of this one. I don't, it's definitely not the best in the offshore industry. I'd be looking for others. I know of others. Obviously, I can't tell you which ones they are, but I know of others that have much better balance sheets. Some of them went bankrupt. So a lot of these went bankrupt during the last cycle. And what happens in bankruptcy is debt gets wiped out. And the new entity comes out of it in much better shape and less cash flow and earnings is flowing to bondholders and more is flowing to equity holders. And so I like the ones that have already gone through the bankruptcy process. Their debt levels are much lower. And so that's what I would be buying if you're looking for the offshore space, but know the offshore space is very, very volatile. Oil in general is volatile. All the oil names tend to be much higher volatility than the overall market. And you can be okay with that, but you have to have your eyes wide open. I'd rather have a company with a bit more diversity. I, I don't like to bet on uh, you know, the near term that oil prices are gonna go this way or that way. That, can be a crapshoot. You've seen that as of late. Oil prices have been kind of all over the map. 
So not only is this not nearly the best in the industry, but I just rather have a OL name that's a bit more diversified. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch on the commercial real estate market. And you have a cyclical market downturn, and then you have a secular change in the way people work. This is a good example of how you can have two different types of cycles. You have cyclical ebbs and flows of the economy, and then you have secular, which is typically a shift in the change in habits within a particular industry. Right, we have a secular change in retail as more and more people are going online. That's a secular change that's been going on for 25 years now as more and more people have purchased things online. And then on top of that, you have higher interest rates, which naturally are a headwind to real estate prices. So higher interest rates, rise of remote work, e-commerce, all of this is reducing demand for office and retail space. And the US vacancy, office vacancy rate reached a milestone in the first quarter of 12.9%. That's the exceeding the peak during the 2008 financial crisis. That's despite low unemployment. We still have low unemployment. What happens if unemployment jumps up 100 or 200 basis points from here? So this is the highest office vacancy rate since CoStar Group began tracking it in 2000. And so these cyclical headwinds along with secular headwinds means that even when we do rebound in the economy, it's unlikely that office properties are going to rebound the same way. And it won't contribute to economic growth the way it has before. A lot of buildings were built because uh, there was still demand for office. There, there was still demand for people to go into, in, into work. And property tax revenue boosted the local economy. And banks were eager to, to lend. A big part of that was the fact that there was a lot of regulation that prevented a t overbuilding of, of office uh, buildings. But now that's not really the case. There's, there's too many. And the bad news is really for banks, pension funds, and asset managers. So think of banks, those, those, those mid-sized banks, small and mid-sized banks. That's why I said I don't love the risk versus reward for some of those, for a lot of those small and mid-sized banks. It, it's, they sound great, but I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation with that industry, and a lot of them have this problem as well. And then pension funds, asset managers, think of the private REITs that are out there. A lot of them hold these office properties. Commercial mortgages account for 38% of median U.S. bank loan holdings, and North American public pension funds on average hold around 9% of their assets in commercial real estate. And so <clears throat> between 1993 and mid-2022, U.S. commercial real estate prices grew almost fourfold. And then you have, and so this is the, the latest hit to just commercial race, real estate in general. Obviously, retail owners have been dealing with the rise of e-commerce for 
over two decades now. So office owners are just beginning to process this glut that's in the system. The occupied space per office worker is 12% below where it was in 2015. Now, not all commercial real estate looks in bad shape. Data centers, warehouses, they all are benefiting from, the sec- from, from these secular trends. And that's what's important here is to realize what is benefiting from the secular trends and what, what is getting hurt. Now, the, the best thing about the office market is that landlords mostly hold less debt as a share of their property value than they did in 08. So they're not forced into liquidation, forced into foreclosure as easily as they were in the past. Even though office building prices are down 25% since early last year, mall prices are down 19% since early last year, and 44% since 2016. And this happened, once again, in 19, or 1960s and 70s. There was a similar trend as there was a rise of highways, fax machines, long-distance calls. You didn't have to have workers huddling into office buildings downtown. You could spread them out into suburbia and so this is not something that has never happened before it has Uh, and technology will always do this and there will be secular shifts now let's squeeze in another invest talk listener question here this one came in earlier from san francisco on 888.99 chart hi justin this is glenn in san francisco i'm a relatively new listener but uh, learning a lot so thanks for what you're doing My question is about uh, trend following. If I'm following a stock and it starts to move up above its 200-day moving average, what uh, strategy do you recommend uh, if I'm looking to to buy that stock or ETF? Do I jump on it right away? Do I wait a few days, make sure it maintains that level? Do I look at other indicators? What's your recommendation there? Look forward to hearing the answer. Thank you. Well, you want to look at other indicators and just going above one moving average isn't the end all be all. It isn't the only indication to buy something. If you're looking to be a trend follower, what I actually like to see is the moving averages widening out, not clustered together, right? I want to see a good gap between the 50 day, the 100 day and the 200 day. That's how you know it's in a trend. A positive trend. And I want all those moving averages pointed up. Now, you might miss a lot of the move, but you're talking about trend following. Now, if you're talking about trading, you know, for a short period of time, usually trend following, you're trying to jump on a trend and, and hold it for multiple quarters, probably multiple years. Now, short-term trades, call them swing trades, held for you know a number of weeks or maybe a number of months. That's something completely different. That has more to do with what we call price pattern and time. So, I like to see bullish consolidation above moving averages, getting ready to. Uh, Break the next level of resistance, etc. And that's that's a complex topic for really another day. 
But trend following is a multi-quarter, multi-month or multi-year thing. Uh, and that's where I like to see moving averages and those trends. All right. Now, Steve and I have been telling you for a while that we are in a new market environment and these cycles are part of everything in life that we deal with. It's part of human nature, the ebbs and flows of sentiment and investment dollars. And history is always a good guide to where you are today. And not just history of the last 5, 10, 15 years. I'm talking about going back decades. And that's why I was talking about the office market because there are parallels to this. Just like there are parallels to an inflationary environment. And the question is, are you familiar with those parallels? Do you know how to apply them? Do you know how to make good decisions consistently so that retirement day is not some far off opaque vision. It's something you can almost reach out and grasp because you are on the right path. Well, if you need help understanding if you are on the right path, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate the same philosophy as we do on this show, which is independent thinking and shared success. We provide unbiased guidance and we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. Just send us a message through investtalk.com or give our office a call in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. The sooner you reach out, the sooner we can help you. Now this is Invest Talk, and our work continues in 30 seconds. So hang on. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download, 24-7, rain or shine. The InvestTalk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, can I have your opinion on buying this stock for a long-term investment? A-G, A-G. Thank you so much. Uh, is that A-G or A-B? I, yeah, I heard A-G as well. First Majestic Silver. This is a Canadian company engaged in the mining acquisition of silver properties in Mexico. And... That's what you're really betting on here is silver prices. And I like silver. It's just this is not my favorite name within the silver space. And really it has to do with its operating history. It's ebbed and flowed between profit and loss for pretty much its entire history. Trailing 12-month cash from operations is only $19 million. And it's just really wild and all over the place. I like that it has no debt on its balance sheet, pretty much no debt, very minimal, shall we say. And it's, it's a good company, but there are better silver miners out there. So I'd be looking for something better, to be honest with you, than AG. <clears throat> now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. You start at a different place than the next person. Your goals are different than the next person. But the principles 
ultimately are very similar. It's making good sound decisions with your money and your investment dollars. So our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Hi, Steve and Justin. Uh, this is Matt calling from Minnesota. A uh, longtime listener of the show. I have a quick question on a stock I've been following and I'm considering buying it and adding it to my portfolio. Wondering what your thoughts are on it. I believe the ticker symbol is TSCO, Tractor Supply Company. It seems to be um, a top company in its field. seems to be expanding and has good growth, good sales. It does pay a small dividend, which is growing. Everything looks solid about the company on the balance sheet and everything I can think of. Are there any negatives on this company? I know it would be nice if it came down in price, but I don't know if that will be happening anytime. So I was wondering if this might be a decent price to pick it up at right where it is right now. Thank you for everything. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the show. Have a good day. All right, looking at Tractor Supply, and you're correct. Very minimal debt on its balance sheet, buying back shares, consistent cash flow. And overall, the profitability long-term is very high, 44% on average. Now it's 56% on the return on equity, which is an indication that it's probably over-earning, at least in the near term. And so there will probably be some reversion to the mean here, and that's probably your biggest worry, along with the fact that multiples, enterprise value to EBITDA, right around 15 and a half, long-term average around 14. So it's a, it's a bit, uh, trading at a bit higher multiple than it typically does. And so that would be a, a bit of a worry that it is, it is rich. Now, uh, that's after a rally from 100 and let's see, the low in May, June timeframe was 167. Now it's at 243. That's down from the recent high a bit above 250 uh, and major support and I say major support minor support would be back around the 100 day moving average right around $230 per share that would be a nice spot to, to pick it up uh, so it's just a matter of how long you want to wait for it could there be a broader protracted downturn in the name uh, probably not because it's such a such a good company uh, but I would love it back below 200 uh, but 230 uh, is probably fairly valued around that level so that's it's really your issue it's just modestly overpriced, but nothing uh, too dramatic. But you're looking at a good company and a good name, all right? Now let's talk a bit about supply chains. And after years of product shortages, port bottlenecks, shipping disruptions, there's a new era of a bit of stability on the horizon, but it looks different than pre-COVID. It's not going back to their conventional supply chains. And some might call that complacent supply chains. Many academics and consultants are saying that the pandemic experience, along with geopolitics, are leading to a broad, long-lasting change in how companies source their goods. Not just the end goods, but also the raw materials as well. 
So companies are starting to implement resilience, regionalization, and diversifying their suppliers. So not relying on just the one cheapest supplier they can find. Now, in April 2020, the New York Fed's supply chain stress index shot up to double the level it reached during the recovery from the 2009 financial crisis. It finally fell back earlier this year to levels more typical of measure going back 25 years, so the average. But urgency, the, you know, the level of urgency is still there to shift supply chains. And what's interesting here is that Apple is shifting production of smartphones from China to India. Mattel is producing toys in Mexico. And even Chinese manufacturer Hisense is making appliances in Mexico for the U.S. market. And that just shows the regionalization of supply chains really around the world. And this is clearly more expensive. But companies are okay with that. They're trading resiliency for higher costs. And ultimately, what you've seen so far is they're passing it on to the customer and doing so successfully. And this is what's part of what's tying into inflation. So that that does that about does it for today. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.